There's another podcast you should be listening to, TED Health, a podcast from the TED Audio Collective. Join host Dr. Shoshana Ungerleiter as she introduces you to leading health experts and breaks down the health questions you didn't know you had. Learn more about the way your body works and the newest insights changing the medical world, like what a smart bra means for better heart health, three ways to prepare for the next pandemic, and how we can all live healthier lives. Find TED Health wherever you listen to podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Um, well, I am very, very chuffed to bits. Chuffed to my muff. <laughs> Just cheerio, cheer, jolly, jolly good chuffed. Because today we are talking to uh, my friend Ailey McDonald. Oh, you know what? I'm so sorry, Doctor <laughs> Ailey McDonald. Uh, Ailey holds a PhD in uh, physiology and biophysics at Dalhousie University, and is now a postdoctoral research associate at the British Heart Foundation Center of Research Excellence at the University of Glasgow in Scotland. God, ac- academic uh, titles are so baller. That, yeah, they that's are. baller as yeah. fuck. Yeah. So, Ailey, I guess before we get into, I mean, not only the fascinating work that you do, but also you and your life. And, and um, I mean, we'll get to it. Some interesting stuff that happened to you recently, but... Um, what is what is a postdoctoral research associate? Yeah, so a postdoc is sort of the, the short form. A postdoc is somebody who has just completed a PhD and now wants to try to continue on in the world of academia, which is not a, an easy thing to do. Um, so generally, it means you're working in somebody else's lab still, but you're no longer a student. So it's a transition phase. You're still technically a trainee or an early career researcher, um, but it's kind of a, people talk about it as being a really awesome period in the phase of academia because I get to focus really heavily on doing experiments and running experiments, and I don't have to worry about the student side of things, the obligations as a student, but I'm also not running a lab, so I don't have a whole bunch of my own responsibilities, students, and mm and things like that so you really get to be in the lab yeah. doing mm-hmm. lab work so um, it sounds awesome. it sounds really fun it reminds me of like i feel like this was a missed opportunity for me in life like if only i was a little yeah. bit smarter and more dedicated every to time every time we speak to anybody brian it's, <laughs> a, missed, it's a missed opportunity brian yeah. just goes this is a missed opportunity we, for yeah. me I, you know what i think it's just a testament to the really cool people that we have on this podcast <laughs> yeah. brian just but, realizes that he could have done <laughs> anything, anything else but, anything. It, <laughs> yeah. but in, instead i'm a lousy podcast um, but the the thing i was going to say about that is is that it reminds me of i had these two science uh, experiment books when I was a kid that just had like a bunch of really cool science experiments in there and, and like you know once every two weeks or so I just like pick a clay a, volcano that you just put totally like, a- exactly like yeah. one of those things there would be like uh you know like making 
crystals out of uh, some type of powders or something that you Dude, I can, uh, me and you, we can yeah. head down to Home Depot, I can pick up some stuff and show you how to make some real good crystals. <laughs> Dude, Brian, Brian. Cook, we can cook that up, Brian. cook that up real quick. You and were, make a profit, too. Brian, you were this close to a postdoc. <laughs> <laughs> so, so close. Yeah, so I just feel like it's basically a glorified version of uh, what I did when I was like six years old. Yeah. <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> That's where I started too. I uh, did science fair in elementary school and like loved science fair, was so excited about it. Won the science fair in my little small town and was like, yes, I studied milk and uh, drinking milk instead of water and bo- talked about bone density. It was good times. Did you do that? Did, did you do that cool thing that that guy did in the documentary where he ate McDonald's and only McDonald's for a year, but you just drank milk and only milk for a year? <laughs> no, I didn't use myself as a subject. <laughs> that would have been a that would have been a death yeah. a death uh, sentence, I think. So so we were we were hanging out the other night and having some beers, and uh, one of the things that we were talking about was so I, I mean we'll get into the work that you do, but you 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 do a lot of work focusing on research on the heart, which is really interesting. Mm-hmm. And um, I know that in order to do that type of research, you you do research on animals because. Um, for us to figure out how humans work, we, we, we research on animals first. Um, and one of the things that I brought up to you to like get your thoughts on, uh, is something that we talked, we've been talking about on the show quite a bit over the last six months, which is, um, this, this sort of like gender bias within the world of science, uh, health, health sciences and research specifically in in how female rats typically aren't used in research as much as male rats are and how problematic that is for us humans in the long run because females and males uh, react differently to different medications, etc. And so if we're not putting the focus on both sexes equally, then we're going to end up with some like challenges when it comes to treating illnesses down the road that are um, maybe female specific or male and female specific yet, you know, all the research has only been done on the male side. Um, In terms of the work that you do, what have you seen in, and and because you're, you're, you're fresh to the world and you're, you're in these labs. um, Is this something that you're seeing this like gender bias? Is this something that you're familiar with? Is this something that you are, wanting to see change in and something that you're trying to implement change in? Yeah, I, it is definitely a huge problem. I mean, I think it it becomes a bit of a vicious cycle because people, research is, it always feels like such a fast-paced environment. Always, you have to do the experiments quickly to to get the data to publish quickly because you have to publish before other people publish it. If you don't publish and you can't get the next grant and if you can't get the next grant then you can't survive like mm. literally that's your job um depending on the circumstance so there's this uh really high intensity and pressure to drive research forward and i think that can contradict um the importance or not contradict but it can it works against the the really important um differences that we need to consider in terms of sex that often just aren't considered because it would double the money. Um, like you have to do everything twice, really. Right, right. And, and you sort of just have to do everything twice, in my opinion. Um, and so it, it doubles the money and the time that it takes to do things. Mm. I mean, 
not it's not exactly double but uh it would it'll take you know you have to do twice as many of everything mm -hmm. and so it's a, a bit of a conundrum because then do you only do it in, in female uh like for example the there's one disease one specific type of heart failure that we study that is most prevalent in females so then do you only use female mice mm. then you have no idea about male mice and males what's happening so it, it's it's very complicated and i and i think also uh it, yeah it's probably it's problematic because you you just you need you need to have both and if we just were to switch to females there's nothing to compare against like all research has been done predominantly using male mice and whatever so in order to have something to compare against to compare what you're doing mm. you, you yeah you need to be able to look back and so um, right. so with how the, does this relate mm. so. so with the with the really the only answer that i'm like seeing come out of this in terms of like leveling the playing field so that you don't have you know, one group of researchers going like, well, for the benefit of science, we're going to do this on both and we're going to spend more money and blah, 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 blah. That's going to cause more time. We won't be able to publish as fast while other people are doing, are doing research and not, and, and not doing that. Um, and, and, and then thus, I guess, like forcing the people that are doing it, uh, are, are doing it all twice so that they get the research on female rats and, and, and male rats, for example, like is the, is the answer to regulation, like, 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 like regulation of, you know, when you conduct, when you conduct research, it has to be conducted this way so that everybody's doing it in the same way. Yeah. And I, I think it's starting to change, um, in some places. I mean, I, when I was just back home, I had a, a, a long chat with my PhD supervisor and he was talking about how in Canada right now, so it comes from the funding agencies really is mm -hmm. where that has to come from. And he said that, that it is essential right now when you're writing grants to talk about how you're going to use both sexes and how you're going to compare them and why that's important. Mm. Like it, you won't get your project funded if you're not doing that. So I think that's a really cool shift. It's not the same in the UK as far as I can see. It does not seem to have as much of a, be as much of a driving factor. But I think, again, it comes from who's funding the research. Ooh, right. um, so isn't it fucking crazy that gender bus, like how... <laughs> how in terms of equality you think that like we're getting places and making progress and then you look at something like science and you're like holy shit yeah. like it's still so far behind like yeah. it just it's really ever since we sort of sort of stumbled into talking about this um months ago now like i've i've just been really shocked that it is as bad as it is Does i think it is well, yeah, bad yeah. Yeah. yeah and it's yeah. and it seems uh, it seems like through the conversations that we've had that like it sort of Although it seems like it's graduated from like a, um, like a like a, a, a gender bias that's more um, like socially motivated, from to 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 like an efficiency, an efficient an efficiency motive that you've described. You know, like how it's it might have it sounds like it started like, hey, well, we're only going to do this research because like these are the this is the population that we're going to like that we want to focus on because we're, we're, because we are right. more focused or we think that it's more important to do research that's male driven. But, but when you look at it that way, you, you kind of have to question it how much that social part of it still is playing a factor, right? Like, yeah, because if, if we're honest, that's, that's still the world we live in. We still live in a world that is like a patriarchal, patriarchal, a patriarchal society that you know 
as 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 far as we have come. Yeah, we well, still yeah. have a lot. Well, we that's a, but that's always the asterisk to any yeah. to anything that's better than it was. Yeah, we, it's always everything is. Yeah, we've. I mean, I'm saying it's not 1940s, 1950s like scenario. But it's, 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 it's the impact. It's the impact from that. <laughs> yeah, and, and I think um, in academia, it is farther behind than maybe other um, elements in the world, other things mm. in terms of gender and race and so on like the vast majority of professors over here are old white guys yeah um yeah and and that's like that's pretty standard with like all stem is like it's 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 mainly males that are and so of course in that field research on the male minds i mean they the classic thing they say is oh they don't have the same sorts of hormones you know it's like that's baloney like they do they they for sure do and even if like a model, like this is something we think about so often in, in what I'm doing. I've worked with so many different types of models, animal models, but you can use cell models or in computer models and um, like human samples do you, do you and whatever. Use supermodels ever? Sometimes, you know? <laughs> cool. <laughs> uh, yeah, but, but like a model is you want to have a, you're using it to represent something, right? And I think that's why the conversation often goes to personalized medicine. Because you can have a model, um, you know, like mice, do they really represent what happens in humans? You know, in some ways, sure. Yeah, they are really useful, but you have to know their limitations. You have to know where they're useful and for what. And sometimes they aren't. Sometimes you need to use rabbits Mm. for different reasons. Um, And so that's why, like, when you're considering a model, you, you have to pick a sex or both sexes, but you'll be limited always in what you're doing. You, and you just have to be aware of the limitations. It's key, I think. So right. let, let's talk about that. Why, why would you have to use a rabbit and like, and, you know, research a rabbit's heart versus a, a, a mouse's heart versus a, a heart that's generated by a computer? Like what, why, why, why? Yeah. So it de- all depends on what question you're asking and trying to answer. Um, and that will help you determine what model you're trying to use. And generally, you always want to use the simplest model, model possible, that, but as complex as, narr- so it's as complex as necessary, but as simple as possible. Mm. Um, so sometimes you could use like cell culture is something that people use often in research. And that is a useful model um, for testing drugs or if you're looking at individual cells, how things are changing. So then you don't need to use animals in some circumstances, if you're using cell culture, for example. Um, and then when you're when it comes to selecting a model in, in an animal model, it, it there are different questions that you are asking. So it depends uh, if we wanna look at um, arrhythmia, for instance, like electrical changes in the heart. Mm. Um, I would often want, I would want to select probably a rabbit over a mouse because of how they, just how they're, hearts respond and, and how they are naturally like a mouse heart rate is super fast compared to humans and rabbits are more similar to humans mm. than um, mice are but then mice if you want to ask a question about a specific gene and you want to use a gen- you want to genetically modify a species that's not really feasible in a rabbit so you could use a mouse and genetically modify a mouse and see if, if i change this one gene how does that change the response of the mouse or the heart to, to this sort of um, therapy or whatever it is mm. you're doing. 
um, so, so in, in terms of like your, your story and like your trajectory in academia, what, what is, I always find it really interesting to talk to people who specialize in something and, and try to get to the bottom of like why it is that they've chosen to specialize in this one particular field. So what is it about the heart that drew you in? Like why, why did you choose or, or did you, did you just kind of like spin a wheel and wherever it landed went, fuck it, I'll go Pick research that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I've always really been fascinated by the heart and I can't honestly tell you why, like I could give you some cute story about my grand dying or something, but, but it's, it's really like just basic for me. I think the brain is spooky. I don't like the brain. Um, I don't really want to know how it works. When I was in my undergrad, I took a neuroanatomy course and we each got our own human brain. Wow. That we like dissected through the course. It was a really cool opportunity. Did you get to take um, it home fascinating. after? No, no, it's in the lab. <laughs> but it was it was a moment where I was really emotional the first time I held the brain because I was like, holy shit, like this brain did math and fell in love and yeah. whatever. Like I was yeah. like, aha, ugh, like yeah. gross. I don't yeah. like it. You know? Yeah. It's right. too it's too meta or something like this hunk yeah. of meat is like my thoughts. I don't like it. The heart <laughs> is so basic. It's so simple. It's a pump. It's mm. just a pump. It's just pumping blood. That's all that it does. But it is so complicated and fascinating and how it works and how it does it and how it goes wrong. It's but it also, like, uh, but the heart also falls in love, and you know, it's a yeah. it's a picture of like a you know, it's just got that that shape that we all know and drew. Right. Well, like, like well, well, but but yeah, right. So to that point, then <laughs> it, is it, is there something to what Brian is saying? I know I know you're trying to be like cute, see with that, but like, <laughs> but like, is what Not Brian trying, is, is what Brian is saying? <laughs> is there something to that? Like, I, I'm surprised to hear that that that. The, to hear you say, Ailey, that the heart is simply just a pump. Um, Do you mean like the narrative of like organs having like some sort of uh, some sort of like input into like your emotions? And yeah, yeah. Like do, does is our does our heart is it really that simple, or or does our heart actually have a bit more of a a role in terms of the way that we? the way that our brain like, works or the like, way that we feel or, or, or really it, is or it just is like just a fucking pump a, a good it. example is like, you know, the Grinch, for example, his heart was that's right. three sizes too small. And then when whatever. it grew big, he was like, dude, yeah, he, he was loved more, yeah, but like, yeah. but like, was it really just a matter of the fact, a fact that he, it was just a pump and he just really struggled walking yeah. up the mountain. Yeah. To the his Dr. Home? Seuss get like, it wrong and yeah. it should have been his brain was fucking a pee. And then, and yeah. then it grew <laughs> three sizes too big. Now yeah, let's yeah. remember that actually good question that brian that jeremy asked and forget about the grinch part yeah, that came yeah. afterwards that yeah. was a joke <laughs> um all the same yeah no i think it's just a pump i mean i think you know there's something to what you're saying there i mean i think uh our emotion and our psychology manifests itself physically of course all the time and so sometimes sure. that's localized to the heart but that's still just the brain doing that shit. Like it's right, right. pump, you know. Fuck like the it brain. It really is. What? Yeah. So that, that but that brain. The syndrome. Yeah. Um, what's the name of it? Broken heart syndrome. Yes. Um, it has a Japanese name. Yes, it does. Uh, yeah. Do you know about this? Um, it's no. like a. It's like a. It, it, I can't remember the name of it. Jared's gonna grab it here, but it's a basically a, um, like intense, like super intense grief 
can cause um, a, a, one of your ventricles to enlarge, is it? Uh, yeah, this, is, this will blow your mind if you've never heard of this, Haley. Broken heart syndrome is a temporary heart condition that's often brought on by stressful situations and extreme emotions. The condition can also be triggered by a serious physical in- illness or surgery. It may also ca- uh, be called stress, stress cardiomyopathy. Um, t- oh, here's the Japanese uh, name, tak- takutsubo takutsubo cardiomyopathy or a, a apical ballooning syndrome. Apical ballooning yeah. syndrome? A, yeah, apical. apical. Uh, yeah. People with broken heart syndrome may have sudden chest pain or think they are having a heart attack. Broken heart syndrome affects just part of the heart, temporary disrupt, temporarily disrupting your heart's normal pumping function. The rest of the heart continues to function normally or may even have more forceful contractions. The symptoms of broken heart sy- syndrome are treatable, and the condition usually reser- reverses itself in days or weeks. Mm. We spoke to a guy whose wife died, and he, he had Takotsubo, uh, Takotsubo cardiomyopathy, but he was convinced... He was like, "That's bullshit. I'm, I'm dying. I'm literally, I'm legitimately terminal with broken heart syndrome." And it was a really like, but also it's a mis- bit of a misnomer because it sounds like it should be called broke brain breaking heart syndrome. <laughs> yeah, the brain, the brain is broken and it's, and yeah, it's, damaging it's like your heart. oh, your brain has released a bunch of stress hormones. Now your heart is reacting to them. Yes, because yeah. yeah. it's just a pump. Yeah. It's just a pump. <laughs> yeah. It's um, just a pump. Ailey, I, I mean, I, I don't mean to be diminish, diminutive. Is that the word? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Diminutive. Yeah. Uh, dimin- is that the word? Well, you're anyway, a sci- you're a scientist. Yeah. You're being you're being you know you're being it's scientific. Yeah, you're being because you're, I you're, love it. Yeah, like, yeah. No, and it it is complex and how it works and it responds to things like like that um it responds to many many different things and Ooh. all the time and it responds to like hormones and stress and stress and um and mechanics like when you poke the heart it you can get a response from it like it's Whoa. not simple but it but its purpose mm. is simple so so what's like what's one of the things maybe one of the things you're researching now or or even perhaps like one of the things that you've come across through your your career so far that has like really blown your mind about the heart about the way the heart works about the way the heart doesn't work yeah well okay so that's a tricky uh, question because there are a million answers but <laughs> i the most like fundamental basic thing that got me the most excited about the heart and it's so my whole phd was sort of focused on this the lab that i came from in halifax um, it's really focused on this idea of it's mechanoelectric coupling. Um, so I, I can explain this. So maybe you know about the heart already. Um, We're fucking idiots. Your... We don't know shit. No, people have probably told us a lot of really great things about it, but we don't remember. That's anything. right. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm going to hopefully tell you in a way that you can remember because Perfect. it is simple. So the heart is electrically activated. So it's literally an electrical signal. Um, that pulses through the heart and it's their action potentials. They happen in the brain and throughout the body, but um, they start in one corner of the heart in a place called the sinus node or the sinoatrial node. It's the heart's natural pacemaker. So when we talk about people getting a pacemaker, like we all already have a pacemaker, actually, you're getting an artificial one implanted, right? right? Um, And then that electrical signal causes the mechanical action. So that's where you get the contraction. It's triggered by the electrical signal. And then that mechanical action is what causes the heart to pump. Now, this thing that is so cool 
that is really basic is that if you were to cut your heart out of your chest, it would keep eating. Um, well, so when it, you see that shit in like horror movies when like or like kung fu movies and they go, Gah! and they pull a guy's heart out and it's beating in his fucking hand. That's yeah, that's real. Scientifically that's real. accurate. Whoa. I mean, the, the reaching through the Whoa. chest part is the that's what's that's what's crazy about that, that the reaching through the chest part is, is the, the fake part. is the fake part. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So that electrical signal is generated by our own natural pacemaker and it happens continuously and spontaneously through our entire lives. It's just always happening on its own. So it's not your brain controlling your heart, you know, your heart, your brain can help change your heart rate. So when you're nervous, this be stressful, whatever it Mm. can increase heart rate or decrease heart rate, but it is continuously firing on its own. And so that's a lot of the experiments that I have done involve isolating hearts from animals and be, it can actually continue beating for hours and hours. The only thing that it needs is blood or a blood like substitute. So we make up solution that has sodium, potassium, calcium, whatever that the heart needs glucose to keep eating. Like wow. just like all the organs need blood. It needs the blood. So it, I can hang up a heart and it can beat for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours on its own. Is wow. blood, is blood effectively like a battery for your heart then? Like in the uh, sense that like it needs it to keep beating, more like a fuel, fuel. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That's I, fucking. Yeah. That's yeah. Awesome. I see, I see yeah. what you mean. Like, yeah. The stuff inside the battery. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Battery acid. Yeah. 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 Are vegans actually unhealthy? Does cannabis ruin your sleep? And why are so many men taking testosterone supplements? I'm Mitch. And I'm Greg. And we're the creators of the popular YouTube channel, ASAP Science. Every week on our podcast, Side Note by ASAP Science, we explain the science behind a controversial subject with recent research, up-to-date studies, and ridiculous stories so you are entertained while, bam, simultaneously learning. We're here to make science make sense. Download Side Note by ASAP Science wherever you got your podcasts well i mean what like what, dude j- just you saying that made me i had flashes i've been watching a lot of horror movies uh because it's spooky october and um <laughs> and uh you just describing that made me just for a second picture what your lab must look like yes dude i've been thinking about it the entire <laughs> yeah. time like what so like what do you like when you isolate a heart like how do you how would it, what how are you hanging up a how, how do you hang up a heart yeah so there's this german guy called langendorf who sort of came up with this system for per, it's perfusion is when you when you have like blood or solution or whatever circulate through the heart or brain or whatever so when you perfuse the heart so it works it's called retrograde perfusion so it works back it goes backwards the opposite direction that the blood would go normally in your body so the aorta, which I'm sure you probably heard of, is the big vessel that the blood pumps out from the left ventricle to the body. So we, you can, you cut the heart out, and then you find this aorta and you put it onto a little cannula. Um, so like kind of like a needle but flat, and that has solution pumping out of it. And I, you know, you tie it onto there with a bit of suture, and yeah, I could send you a video. Whoa. Oh yeah, yeah. please do. Yeah, that's a cool. I've, I've been really curious about this whole lab experience. I'm, I'm just wondering how chill the how chill a lab is. Like, 
when you go into a lab, this in is going to affect whether Brian decides to be <laughs> he a postdoc. With his postdoc. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> when when you when you go in in the morning, are you like, I wonder what type of experiments I'll do today, and then just kind of come up with some ideas, and then you've got like some hearts and stuff lying around that you can you can sort of <laughs> test on, or like, do you? Is it like you have to do like you know, two weeks or a month or a couple months of like writing papers and like planning for stuff and then like submitting it and getting approval and then doing it? Or is it more of like a, hey, like, let's try out these things. Like a bit of trial and error would kind of go a long way here and help us figure out like what exactly we'll apply to do in terms of like a bigger experiment. What What yeah, is it like? <laughs> it's a little bit of both. I mean, you, you don't want to waste, um, supplies animals time like these things all cost a lot of money right so you want to have a, a decent plan going in however it's science like you you don't know what's going to happen and so i mean it depends on the nature of the experiment the stuff i did in my phd was kind of wild and exploratory like we built stuff and i was stretching hearts and like flashing lights on hearts and doing doing some really wild stuff um, crazy and so that was definitely more trial and error because no one had done anything like that. So I was like trying to build things to do things. In the lab I'm in now, it's um the the questions I'm asking are more translational, i.e., more specific to cardiac disease. Mm. My PhD, I was looking at like how does the heart actually work, period, like as is in a healthy mm. state, which has implications for disease. But um, but here I'm doing uh so like a basic week on early in the week, you would be doing surgeries on mice. Um, uh, so we do a specific surgery where you give the mouse a heart attack, essentially called a myocardial infarction, MI. So we do MI surgery. Um, you ventilate the mouse and go in, whatever that's, that's uh, beside the point. So you would do surgeries early in the week. So then you can do experiments on them later in the week, or mm -hmm. sometimes you keep them for months or a month, whatever to study. Um, and then some experiments are you, you have tissue saved from old experiments and you're doing the boring, like molecular stuff, pipetting and whatever that takes all day. So it just depends what you're doing. Sometimes it's like the Langendorf experiments, the hanging and heart ones, they're probably my favorite to do mm -hmm. because you have the heart there and the experiments happening in front of you. Um, but you would, you'd have a plan beforehand, but sometimes it doesn't go as planned. I don't know if that yeah. answers your question. Yeah, no, totally. Ailey, I'm really um curious. This 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 question is uh this question is like coming more so from um like the basis of this question is coming more from exercise physiology more more specifically, but I feel like especially when you just mentioned that your PhD was in, you know, the heart in general. I've I've always been really I've been really curious about exercise physiology over the last few years and I I notice um you know, tracking statistics of like my heart rate when I'm exercising and then, you know, comparing that against like, you know, people who have like a similar level of me in the, in, a, in the same, in the same exercise, you know, seeing other people's heart rates and how they respond to like a very similar effort. Like there, there's, there seems to be just like such a crazy variation between individual people's hearts and how they work. And like, you know, my heart rate at 170 might be like uh, for the same effort might be like 145 for, for somebody that I ride bikes with, for example. And and, and I'm like, and I look at that and go, wow, how does your heart do that when mine's doing this? Like wh what, what are so some of the factors that play into why people's hearts are so work so differently, but ultimately achieve the same goal? Mm. And actually yeah. to, to piggyback on that same question, 
my resting heart rate typically is like 97, 98. What? Really? Which is no. CF. CF <laughs> now, is that because I have CF? I'm pretty sure it's because I have CF. It's got to yeah. be. It's because my, be. my, you know, my oxygen intake, or I guess yeah. my, my O2 stats are pretty normal, but like my lung function is like, you know, 55%. And my body doesn't like break down food the way that most people's bodies break down. And I'm constantly on antibiotics. So like, you should get a whoop strap. Mm-hmm. I should get a whoop strap. I, I like actually for real, just for the CF stuff. But yeah, like, so, so like to Taylor's question, like, yeah, like his heart works the way it works. Mine works the way it works. Is it, is it because of outside factors like that, that our hearts work that way or size or it, of heart or is you it know, like, like, you know, maybe it's Maybelline. Maybe. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, well, again, going back to the heart is a pump. Um, that is really sort of as simple as it is. The heart is a pump. It has a few main goals. So the heart needs to output a certain amount of blood in order to maintain a blood pressure. So that's one of the set points. Like if your blood pressure drops, your heart rate will increase to try to get your blood pressure high enough. And then oxygen, you need to have enough oxygen in your blood to perfuse um, all the tissues in your body so that they can do the things that they need to do. So I think that that your body responds to uh, those those things, that those set points, right? Um, and so, so cardiac output, there's a formula for cardiac output, which is stroke volume times heart rate. So stroke volume is how much blood is actually being ejected from the left ventricle in a, in a beat, um, and then times your heart rate. So those two parameters play off of each other. If you have a high heart rate, your stroke volume will, up- be lower, of course, right? Because it can't, it doesn't have enough time to pump as much blood. Mm-hmm. Um, and so those things play off of each other. So if you have a reduction in blood pressure, your heart is going to try to increase heart rate and increase stroke volume, both to try to get your blood pressure back up again. And so there are various ways that it does it and things that it responds to, like there are tons of circulating factors and hormones and, um, nervous inputs from your brain that tell your heart oh we have to speed up or slow down or contract harder or feel um better or whatever Mm -hmm. so it's really i mean that i don't know if that answers your question but it's i don't think it's like oh this heart rate is the good one or whatever it's like your body is just trying to hit these set points to make sure that you have enough oxygen and your blood pressure is high enough and your heart's Mm -hmm. just responding to the parameters as they exist yeah Um, and compensating in different ways to get there I think that Ooh. makes a, that makes a lot of sense, and I think about I think about like all the all the stuff that I've read about how people's hearts who are you know born at elevation against people who are born at sea level or spend a lot of time at elevation versus sea level, and how, um, you know how how people who are born at elevation they're they are just like able to get they're just they just have more red blood cells and they're just able to get more oxygen into their into into their tissue more efficient yeah yeah and because you know because there's less oxygen like they're like as you say like responding to the factors of your environment you know if you live at 2000 meters and there's less oxygen than there is at sea level then your heart has to your heart has to compensate for that so that you can get the same amount of oxygen as somebody who's at sea level and isn't experiencing that oxygen deprivation which i think mm-hmm. is like which i think is like so fascinating and again like from yeah. the exercise physiology standpoint like the the you know what whatever like tons of different sports do this where they go and they train up they train for a period at, at altitude and then they come down and you know they try to 
they try to like reap the benefits of their heart producing or sorry, their, their, their ability to produce more red blood cells after spending time in ovulation. Mm-hmm. So that's, uh, so that's, a, I, I never actually, th- I never put this together, but I'm starting to see it now. The reason my heart rate, resting heart rate is high is because my lung function is low, but my O2 stats are typically normal. And because the reason they're normal because my heart's yeah. fucking pumping harder. Shit. Yeah, it's Dude, doing its sense. job. Cool. Um, so if so, if you get trichafta and your lung function increases, you'd probably my heart see a will reduction. grow three times its size, right. and I will have more empathy and love. Yes, yeah. and a reduction in resting heart rate. And then you'll start asking more cutesy <laughs> questions. And I'll, I'll just love it. Yeah. Ailey, <laughs> uh, I I have a question for you. I I love a I love a good hack, and uh, yeah, you do. You know, I I've been thinking a lot about like. You know, the things that you can just sort of do like maybe yeah. once a day to make your heart health better. Like, like what's your Cosmo five five <laughs> thing list in Cosmo for like for a healthy heart, well, right? I was, <laughs> for a happy heart? Because I was thinking like, you know, you hear like, oh, just one glass of red wine a day will just make your yeah. heart better and stuff. Yeah. Like, is there anything that you've learned uh, in your research where you're like, oh, that's something that I'm just going to apply to my everyday life because that's good for my heart? Oh, no, sadly not. <laughs> I, I mean, I think the only thing I've learned is don't do heart research if you want to maintain heart health, honestly. Yeah, right. <laughs> like, yeah. since, since studying the heart, I, I myself now have a sort of a, a tachycardia, arrhythmia, palpitation situation that I get to take beta blockers for, which is kind of fun because you're like really always thinking about your heart. And so now I'm like super aware of my heart all the time. And when it goes really fast and whatever, but yeah. no, I don't know. Yeah. I, is, it, is that, is that stress related? Probably, probably a combination or... of things. I, I've learned, like I figured it out a few years ago that in combination, um, coffee or exercise or coffee and stress or stress and exercise, uh, any one of those three together mm. meant my heart was beating super, super fast all yeah. of a sudden oh. and like palpitating. So I don't drink coffee anymore. I have um, all those things: uh, stress, drink a lot of coffee, and exercise. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah me too. Yeah. Plus, now add nicotine. Uh, <laughs> add nicotine. Uh, take away the um, exercise. exercise. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, Ailey, I'm gonna like kind of take a pivot here. Um, uh, I know that you also went through. You had COVID. Um, and, uh, and you're one of the few people that I know who've, who've, who've had COVID. My mom had it and, um, she didn't even know she had it. And she went, she went out to, and had dinner at like several spots around town and then found out she had COVID and then like, and then, and then then when she found out the (laughs) next day, all of the places she told me she went for dinner were all of the places that they listed as potential exposure sites. I was like, Whoa, mom. Yeah, that was you. Um, but, but she was, she was totally fine as far as we're concerned so far. Um, and nothing else is like popped up. Um, but you had a completely different experience. COVID kind of fucked you up, didn't it? Yeah, it was pretty rough to be honest. I mean, it's really fascinating to hear you say that I'm one of the only people, you know, because I, maybe it's just in the UK. It's, I know so many people who've had it like just so many and everybody knows so many and I think maybe 50% of the people I know over here have had it that's a that's a ballpark I, I don't know yeah, don't yeah. quote me on that but again again um, we're living in Halifax, I mean, Halifax where like Nova Scotia, yeah. Nova Scotia numbers were pretty low yeah, yeah. For, for yeah comparatively to everywhere else in the world but yeah that so mm-hmm. that kind of makes sense so yeah it does but anyway yeah it was uh 
pretty brutal. I was pretty sick. All right. I mean, over here we have lateral flow tests that you can get and use whenever you want to. And that really saved the day. I don't think I spread it to anybody uh, because what, I did a test. What's a lateral flow test? Uh, what do you call them? Rapid antigen test? Oh, yeah. oh yes, yes, yes. Is yes, that yes, what you yes. call it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Same, okay. same thing. Okay. So we can, you just literally can go on the NHS website and get a box sent to you. And so I would do them all the time before going, going into work. Um, and I just did one, one night and I was like, Oh shit. <laughs> it had the, the old double liner. And I was like, was not expecting that. I was feeling perfectly well. Um, so that, that was bad news. And then I, I was sick for a couple of days, like, Oh, you know, kind of sick, but I was all right. Like I just, you know, it was like a bad cold, I guess. Um, but then the one morning I woke up and I was like, oh my God, I cannot breathe. <laughs> and it was like substantially worse. And I couldn't sit up anymore. Like I was just so exhausted and so weak. Um, and it was a it was a bit of a shock because I thought, shit, I'm COVID. This is a bummer. But like I and I mean I ultimately I am fine. Mm. Um, but I did not expect to get as sick as I was. Um, it was pretty scary. Like I felt like my chest was crushed and like it felt like someone was sitting on my chest I yeah it was uh pretty spooky as uh the other day and this is this is anecdotal but the the you know the person that was um the person that sort of like corroborated or, or I guess like agreed with the fact that this was that, that that this was indeed like something that was coming out of this which was uh Sanjay Gupta from CNN um was uh basically that that COVID is, you know, we've, we've thought about it as like a respiratory disease, but that it is also very much so a, 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 seems to be emerging as like, as a vascular disease or, or, and could be more so a vascular disease than a respiratory disease. And that there's, um, you know, stuff coming out that's <coughs> supporting that or, or, or exploring that like from not necessarily your, maybe your experience and maybe it is, but in, in like a larger sense, like what do you, from from your expertise and your like educational background in the heart, obviously, like, do you have any? Do you have like a sense of of what's going on in somebody? I know I, that gets COVID that where it's affecting their heart. I know that like myocard myocarditis is a is a thing that's affecting um, a lot of people in like this like mm -hmm. long haul COVID yeah. or whatever they're you know it's becoming known as um, where people are having like these really like long-term like months month, months and months or maybe never hasn't gone away yet and they've had COVID they had COVID like a year and a half ago um do you have a sense of like what's going on there uh no not really to be honest I mean it's scary I I know that like viruses are are scary and they're tricky and they can get in and be a part of you for quite some time and sometimes they aren't sometimes your body can get rid of them but um, it can have huge implications all over your body. And I think that's one thing that's interesting. Like when you say, why would these heart rates be different or whatever, the variability in terms of people with COVID and how they respond, uh, is, I mean, that's, it's, that's the thing I, I get back to a model. Like what is a model? You know, it's impossible to really be able to say, this is what COVID is doing and, or how it's doing it because, it will respond differently in everybody, I think. And there's obviously mm. some commonalities, but it's really, it's a, it, that's what's so scary about it, I think. I mean, for me, it was a surprise, but it attacked my ears, actually. Whoa. I ended up getting, uh, it's called labyrinthitis, I think, labyrinthitis, labyrinthitis. Oh. 
So the virus attacked my inner ear and I ended up, I had vertigo uh, that was so bad. I couldn't walk to the bathroom for a good few weeks. Wow! Um, Like everything was spinning to the right for weeks. And so I was unable to eat properly because I just felt so sick. I couldn't read or look at the computer. Everything was just spinning. Um, And it hasn't fully gone away every now and then I get the the spins again like when I was in Halifax I took the ferry and it it took about five hours for me to recover from that it was a really bad idea but it just like triggered the whatever this is going on in my ears yeah which is so fun like like if anyone who's ever had too much to drink to the point where they've had this that feeling the spins like not me I've I've never had I've never (laughs) had vertigo except for that 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 sensation like and and if that's if that is vertigo then i guess i've had vertigo um but i've had that feeling and that feeling which typically when i've had that feeling it lasts for whatever a couple hours however long it takes me to like fall asleep it's truly one of the most uncomfortable things i can imagine that's horrible it's really awful and so to hear that you were experiencing it for weeks on end without any stop, like that is, that yeah. that it actually was, makes my stomach like churn a little bit. Like it makes yeah. me feel a little queasy. Yeah, It was actually really brutal. And I mean, I'm glad it was that then being really, you know, worse than I was or whatever, but it was, it really felt, yeah, exactly. Like when you're hungover and you, you feel like if you put your foot on the ground, it'll make it better. It was like that sort of spins, but it was nonstop for about 10 days. And then it was um, it's more intermittent, which mm-hmm. was good, but still really frequent. And then eventually it pittered out. So it's still, it's very infrequent now. Um, when, but when yeah, you, it was gross. When you were dealing with the COVID, like, did you have to go to the hospital? Did you, like, were you, were you... Um, recommended to like do anything to tr- to treat yourself or be given um, ivermectin yeah 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 <laughs> yeah did you take horse dewormer um did, like what did you have to do to to get through it or was it just kind of like buckle up and cross your fingers and fucking hope for the best yeah so the first few days i just you know stayed quarantined in the um the bedroom my partner adam didn't get covid which was uh pretty miraculous to be honest because we were here together and somehow now he hasn't which is also that's another story but he somehow avoided getting it when i was super super sick and now he last week got covid oh um, wow so oh. We, we isolated from each other again but he, he's all right he can't taste or smell which is weird because i was anyway yeah. that's what i mean like COVID. Whoa, yeah. but i i did end up so i got really sick and i couldn't it was the chest pain that was really frightening. Like, a, like I had bad chest pain. And so the vertigo thankfully didn't come until after I was in the hospital and out of the hospital. It was sort of like the day after I was out of the hospital. That's when the vertigo came around to play. Um, but yeah, so I, we called, there's a number here you can call if you're not sure what to do. Cause that, it was scary. It was like, you know, I was sick for a few days and then it got bad for a few more days. And then I was like, for some reason I was like, it's Monday, so I'll be better now. And it was actually much worse. And I was like, oh no, I really, I'm, I was afraid. I didn't know what to do. So that's when we called this number to be like, what should we do? And then they suggested that uh, they were like, we think you should go to the hospital. So they sent like a little COVID bus, which is kind of funny. But it just has like a, a COVID bus because I can't take a cab or public transport. 
for it, obviously. Um, but it was like, you don't want to use an ambulance. Like I'm not, wasn't mm-hmm. an ambulance situation. So I got Wait, on the what, COVID bus. What does the bus look like? Like it, I, just I'm imagining with a bunch of sick people. <laughs> I, I'm imagining the driver though. Like how the driver would have to be like the driver tarped have, into the driver's seat COVID. or like, <laughs> okay. Yeah. That makes more sense than they just yeah. have it or like in a bubble at the front or something. Did yeah, they, they wrap like the bus in like, did they yeah. wrap the bus in like fun COVID like cartoons? Yeah. Like, vi- just, like, like boinging viruses. Yeah. On yeah, the yeah. 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 Has, uh, has, has like your, you know, you're, how long have you been in, uh, when you finished your PhD and how long have you been in the postdoc? Um, yeah, since senior, January, since January. So, yeah. you know, you finish your PhD in during COVID yeah, and then go into this, like something that we've talked about to, um, to a few people, a few, like, you know, whether it's researcher, professor, um, pe- 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 mostly people who are doing research talk about how COVID has like, has like just like had this cr- you know, broad impact on the scientific world because, you know, resources are being pooled towards mm-hmm. COVID. Like, have you, you know, going through that transition, finishing your PhD and getting into kind of the, the, the lab from the postdoc setting, have you noticed like, is there, is, has COVID impacted the way that, the way that like your lab works or, you know, are, are you, do you just kind of like press on in the same lane? Like, is there resources? Are there fewer resources? Like what's the, What's the deal in, in the, in your scientific world there? Yeah. Well, I mean, I can only really comment from the perspective of the Institute that I'm working at now. Mm-hmm. I mean, when I was finishing my PhD, I was pretty done um, for most of COVID. Like I, I was writing my PhD thesis when COVID sort of began. Mm-hmm. So I did that and then was sort of just stuck and whatever. So I didn't really do a whole lot of research actually the summer of last year, whatever year that was. I don't know. 2020 um whatever but when i got here yeah it's strange when i got here there was definitely a sense of um a shift in priority uh covid has become uh something that is researched pretty heavily at the institute that i'm working at so we use disease models of myocarditis for example and people are looking specifically at different covid things that's not something that i personally have been um doing but it's in the conversation all the time and uh it's being considered Mm. um pretty closely so but yeah i mean it was it was it's interesting how research did sort of stop for a while i think when it that was non-covid related research Mm. there was just Uh, like a big pause um uh just to come back to the story that you were telling before taylor so uh weirdly and rudely decided to take it in a completely different direction before you were finished uh uh you got on the covid bus i was gonna ask about the covid uh, yeah, bus. Yeah, yeah. you got on the covid <laughs> bus uh you you did so did you end up spending time in the hospital like were you like was this like an icu situation or what was the where did the covid bus yeah. take you <laughs> Yeah, sorry, I was right there with you, Taylor. Don't I was already headlong forgotten about the COVID bus, but yeah. So the COVID bus took me to the hospital, and there was like a specific uh, unit that's for people who had COVID. Um, I forget what it's called, but there was like a COVID specific ward and area. So it wasn't even like emergency; it was like COVID emergency. So I got to go in there with a whole bunch of other people with COVID, and um, God, how scary was that? It was, well, it was weird because it was scary, but also like, well. I'm, I also have COVID. Yeah, I don't know. Right. It was weird. Yeah. Um, it was a bit of a scary thing because I, as soon as I got there, I almost felt like, oh, I shouldn't be here because um, I 
was probably the sickest I've ever been in my life, but everybody else seemed super way, like way sicker, way more oh, sick. Wow. Yeah. Um, it was like a lot of old people, a lot of coughing. I didn't really have a cough. I just had chest pain and couldn't breathe. So I was only in the hospital for like 12 hours or something. And they, you know, pumped me full of fluids and did a whole bunch of tests. Like they wanted, they did a chest x-ray and they checked for blood clots was one of the big things they were worried about um, for me and did, they did ECG and whatever. So they, they did a big whole workup of me. Um, my liver sort of wasn't functioning well, which was a bit weird. So they were a bit nervous about that, but they sent me home after 12 hours because they didn't have anywhere that they would be able to put me anyway. Um, so once they knew I didn't have a blood clot and I don't know, my heart was still beating normally, uh, away I went. And then I went back for follow-up tests in the weeks following. See, this is the thing that I find so interesting is like when we, you know, 10 years out from now, when we look back at all of the data that was crunched based on all the people like yourself who came in with COVID, whether they were in your position where it was like obviously pretty sick, but nowhere near as sick as someone who's in the ICU versus the people that were in the ICU for weeks on end, like what what kind of answers we're going to have in in a decade of like what this fucking virus actually is and was hopefully um like it, it's it's just so i feel like i'm i feel like we've been we've all been sort of collectively a part of this this like year and a half long acid trip where like time sort of doesn't really exist like it's it's kind of hard to like wrap your head around time yeah because mm-hmm. we're just still in the thick of it like and you remember you, like you remember things and you go like when was that yeah and you think like oh that was a year ago you go and- wait no there was a whole year there was a whole year erased from our like yeah. our yeah. lives like it's just, yeah like just, 2019 was last year <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah exactly yeah. like it's yeah. it's so fucking weird so like the the just just to stop for a moment and to think like wow we are, it's still going to be quite a while before we have like answers to what the fuck happened, you know, to answers to like what this virus was and how in the, in the grand scheme of things, like how it actually has affected the human race and how it affects Mm -hmm. humans on a individual basis. I'm, I mean, there's, there's no question there. I'm just, I'm, it's just making me think out loud, like how, just how fucking wild it is. I feel like people are so done with COVID. Oh but, yeah. Yeah. But it's not done. And and I feel like the more like Adam, my partner, double vaccinated with Pfizer, you know, young, healthy 32 year old guy has COVID, you know, mm-hmm. he right now has it. And it's like, okay, how did, you know, these breakthrough cases, I think it's essential that everyone gets vaccinated, obviously. Mm-hmm, um, yeah. But the fact that it's still managing to continue, it's like viruses are smart. Well, they aren't because they're viruses, but you know, like they, they will adapt and they want to evolve. They want to continue to exist. So mm-hmm. I'm nervous that it's going to continue happening. And it's like, we need more vaccines, new vaccines, whatever. Yeah, so yeah. I just, I, well, I want people to hang on a bit longer before yeah. we start to do normal again. And we've talked yeah. a lot about the vaccine and something that I've been, th- something that I've, that I've been thinking about in terms of the vaccine and, and something that I feel like has been missing in the conversation around vaccination and COVID and how it like, and how it manages to continue on and, you know, infect people who have been vaccinated is the idea that 
is is this the idea from a social from a social lens that like when you get the vaccine like that's it like all good like no mm-hmm. can't get it no, gonna be fine it's like maybe but like it's but i've been thinking of the vaccine like like wearing a seatbelt in a car mm-hmm. yeah. you know like you it's get, to reduce you, you get in it's the not car to prevent you get in the car yeah and if you put your seatbelt on there's like a massively reduced risk that that you are going to it doesn't really reduce the it doesn't, fa- fact that you could get in an accident. No, it doesn't prevent the shit that's going to h- hit the fan when you hit another car, but it will reduce the amount of shit that hits the fan. And you'll be much safer because right. of it. Yeah. And 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 having people and, and and this is my own like little hypothesis, so I'd kind of I'd like somebody who's smarter than me to corroborate this, but the idea disseminating the idea that like that when you get you. when you get a vaccination you it it is very much like putting putting on your seatbelt you are you are you are taking a step to reduce uh you know potential risk potential hazard potential health mm. concerns mm-hmm. yeah. yeah i corroborate that thanks brian <laughs> brian stever stamp of approval <laughs> pre post doc um <laughs> Ailey, uh, it's always so fun to just sit down and, and talk to you about the, the fun and interesting research that you do. Uh, will you keep us posted if you come across anything in your work that um, that just is like completely mind-blowing that we should know about? That way we can just have an excuse to bring you on the show again? Yeah, for sure. I always <laughs> love talking about the heart. Yeah. Wonderful, wonderful. Yeah. Uh, Ailey, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to hang out with us today. All the way from... Scotland, blimey, blimey, Glasgow, Scotland, um, to bits. You can uh, you can isolate this audio and send it to your friends if you want to impress. If you want your friends to uh, be impressed by your Canadian friends, English friends uh, accent. No, 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 no. Your Scot- Scottish friends. Scot- that was a, that was a <laughs> that was your rural, Scottish accent. That, that was a That's, rural Scottish accent. I think pretty <laughs> bang on. That, that was it. Yeah. Okay. Greenock. That was my Greenock accent. Greenock. 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 Ailey, again, thank you so much. This has been really fun. Yeah. Likewise. Thanks for having me. That is it for today. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. If you like what you heard, make sure that you share our podcast with your friends. We love those extra ears. Sick Boy Podcast is a Snack Labs production. It is produced by myself, Jeremy Saunders, Taylor McGilvery, Brian Stever, and Lauren Sankey. Sound design is coming to you from Donovan the Meerkat Morgan. The music of the show is from our friend Rich O'Coin. And Sick Boy Podcast is managed by Jeffrey Lonis. That is it for today. I'm Brian. I'm Taylor. And I'm Jeremy. And this is Sick Boy. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.